Pray with me, please. Give me Jesus, Lord. Give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. Amen. You know what they say. There are no songs like the old songs. I think maybe that's true. And I think that one of the reasons we so love Christmas is because at Christmas we sing the Christmas carols, those old songs that we have known and loved all of our lives. Well, today I want to focus our attention upon one of those old songs. In fact, it's one of the oldest Christmas carols of them all. It's not a carol that is widely known or commonly sung these days, but nevertheless, it is a wonderful old song. Interestingly enough, this old song was actually sung first by two old people. Now, I don't know how it is with you, but I have to tell you that for me, Christmas time is a time when I look back and remember all of those older people who have had a significant impact upon my life. Many of them are now in their heavenly home. But especially at Christmas time, I remember them with love and with gratitude. For example, always at Christmas time, I remember my grandmother. Ultimately, she died at 96, but she was an amazing woman, possessing a remarkable combination of indomitable toughness and embracing tenderness. We called her Mamma. She was the matriarch in our family. Now, you need to understand that for Mamma, Christmas existed for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to celebrate the birth of her Savior. And consequently, Christmas at Mamma's house was always celebrated with great flourish. As I think about it now, looking back across all of those Christmases spent with her, it seems to me that every last one of them was somehow a new and great adventure. I remember today one particular Christmas at Mamma's house. There we had four nuclear families gathered together as one extended family around the long, long dining room table that stood in Mamma's house. All of us were prepared to gorge ourselves on a wondrous Christmas feast. That was always a part of Christmas at Mamma's house. But this particular year, Mamma announced to all of us gathered about that table that we were going to celebrate in a slightly different manner this year. This year, we were all going to take sparklers, which had been placed on the dining room table, 
We were going to light those sparklers and then hold them high and then sing together joy to the world. Well, it turned out to be infinitely more spectacular than even Mamma had envisioned. Because, you see, the sparklers, it seems, were defective. So that when we all lighted our sparklers and held them high, the sparklers began to drop tiny balls of flame down onto the dining room table, igniting the red net material that covered the table and began to encroach on the table decorations themselves. I can tell you to this moment, I can see all of us children gathered there wide-eyed with fear, watching as our parents were pounding out the flames with their napkins. But all the while, Meme stood at the head of the table, sparklers held high, eyes closed in emotion and devotion, a beatific look across her sainted face, singing at the top of her glorious voice, joy to the world, blissfully unaware of the total chaos around her. Ah, what a Christmas. And what a Christmas memory. It's a good thing, I think, at Christmas time to remember the good old days and the good old people and the good old songs. That's why I want to focus today on this old song from the Christmas story. This song sung first by two old people. Well, let me begin right there with the two who first sang the song. Their names were Simeon and Anna. Now, we know from the Bible that both of them were advanced in years. Simeon's age is not given to us specifically in the Bible, but we do know from the story in Luke chapter 2 that he is bound to have been rather old. You see, we know that he was the priest in the temple at Jerusalem. And that was a position granted on the basis of seniority. Now, we know he was the priest at the temple in Jerusalem because we are told in the story that Mary and Joseph brought the sweet little Jesus boy to the temple to present him to the priest in the temple at Jerusalem, thus fulfilling the Jewish law. Understand, please, that in those days the law decreed that the firstborn son in a family had to be presented to the priest at the temple in Jerusalem within 40 days after birth. It was an act of dedication to God. Well, that's exactly what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were presenting Jesus in the temple as an act of dedication to God. And we know from reading the story that it was Simeon who took the little child into his arms. That's the clue we need to know beyond any shadow of a doubt 
that Simeon, in fact, was the priest in the temple at Jerusalem. And therefore, quite logically, we can assume that Simeon was well along in years. Now, the other person about whom we are told here was named Anna. Her name is very clearly stated, and her age is certainly more clearly stated. Listen to what the Bible says. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. So, we know both Anna and Simeon were quite advanced in years. They were older people. We know something else about them. We know something about their character. I have to tell you, I find it absolutely fascinating the way the Bible always manages to capture a person's character in just a handful of words. No long, involved, descriptive paragraphs. No, just a phrase or two. It's amazing how the Bible does that. Well, look at what the Bible has to say about Anna and her character. It says, She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. That's all the Bible tells us about Anna. But wouldn't you agree that that's all we really need to know about Anna? The nature of her character is quite clear in just that handful of words. Now, interestingly enough, Simeon's character is described in even fewer words. The Bible says Simeon was righteous and devout. Now, when the Bible describes Simeon as righteous, we know from the meaning of the original language uh, that what was meant was this, that Simeon understood himself to be a sinner, but understood himself to have been made righteous by the power and the grace of God. That's what it means when it says Simeon was righteous. And then it says Simeon was devout. Uh, that meant that Simeon let his righteousness show through in his life. His character mirrored his belief. His actions demonstrated his allegiance to God. In other words, Simeon practiced what he preached. Now, we also know something else about Simeon. We know that earlier in his life, he had received a direct word from the Spirit of God declaring to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ with his very own eyes. That great hope was planted deep in Simeon's soul, and it was that hope which compelled him through the living of all of his decades in this life. 
Now, understand, please, that he lived during some extraordinarily stressful times, the long years prior to when our New Testament gospel begins. It was during those years that the nation was afflicted with civil unrest. The temple was fighting the palace, the palace was fighting the temple, the people were fighting each other. In the midst of all of that, the great Roman Empire with all of its legions came thundering in with cold and brutal force to take possession of the land. And in order to secure control over the people, temple priests were being assassinated, worshipers were being killed as they knelt to pray, common people were being arrested for no good or just cause, and the beloved city Jerusalem was gradually being pillaged and plundered. It was a desperately troubling time. And yet in the midst of all of that unrest and distress, Simeon, great old Simeon, held fast to this hope that God had given him that he would not die until he had seen with his eyes the Lord's Messiah. Simeon, you see, was quite clearly a man who belonged to God. And Simeon let his great belief show through in all of his life. That's why the Bible says of Simeon, he was righteous and devout. I rather suspect that by now you know uh, that one of the things I enjoy doing is taking note of the inscriptions to be found on tombstones. Some of them are humorous. I remember seeing the tombstone of a dentist which read, Here lies Dr. Emmett Williams, DDS, filling his last cavity. Some of them are inspiring. There is a little cemetery in the town of Zermatt, Switzerland, where there are buried those who have died on the slopes of the Matterhorn. Four Cambridge University students from England died in an avalanche on one occasion on that great mountain. Their parents chose to bury them in that little cemetery, to bury all four of them in a single grave marked by a single cross, and on that cross they inscribed the words, They died climbing. Some of them are majestic. One of my grandfathers was a judge. For many years, he was the chief judge of the Alabama State Court. On his tombstone, there is this inscription, a judge whose justice came from a heart of mercy. Some of them are touching. There is one of those in one of our military cemeteries near Bonn, Germany where there is buried one of our young American soldiers. A cross marks the spot of his burial. 
And on that cross, his wife inscribed these words. To the world, he was but one. But to me, this one was the world. How beautiful. Well, I have to tell you that I, as I think about what I might like to have inscribed on my own tombstone, I would like nothing better. I can think of nothing I would love more than the words which are applied to great old Simeon. Righteous and devout, a sinner saved by grace who practiced what he preached. Well, those are the two old people who sang the song, Simeon and Anna. Now, I want you to look at the song itself. I said earlier it's one of the oldest of all the Christmas carols, not sung today, but still one of the oldest Christmas carols, and that it is. You see, we are told that when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple, Simeon, the Bible says, took the child in his arms, and holding the child, our English translation says, he praised God, saying, but the original language makes it clear. He literally sang the words. Sovereign Lord, he sang, as you have promised, now let your servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, what an incredible song. He was declaring that the promise God had made to him earlier now was fulfilled. He was stating that the hope to which he had held fast for all of these years now had come true. He held in his arms this baby, and he could see it and then sing it. The Savior of the world is born. And in that reality, he was ready to face even death itself because he knew that God's promise had been fulfilled, that the Savior of the world had been born. And the Bible goes on to note that at that moment, at that moment, Anna joined him and joined in the song, declaring that this salvation would be a light for the Gentiles and a glory for Israel. The Savior of the world is born. By the same token, dear friends, you and I, in the midst of this world, which sometimes is so tense and troubling and trying, in the midst of this world, you and I can face anything that life sets before us, even death. We can face it serene and unafraid. Why? Because we know what is true. And we can, like Simeon, sing the words in our own soul, Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. That song 
my beloved people, makes all the difference in the world. Some years ago, the great actress Julie Harris was starring in a Broadway play titled Member of the Wedding. One of the other featured performers in that play was the great African-American actress Ethel Waters. One night after a performance, Ethel Waters went backstage, and there she found Julie Harris, slumped over, weeping profusely. She said to Julie Harris, What's the matter with you, child? Why are you crying? Julie Harris stammered through her tears. I have so many doubts and fears and worries, I don't think I can go on any longer. And at that point, great old Ethel Waters, in her inimitable way, Ethel Waters said, Child, the problem you've got is a big problem. But the heart of that problem is the problem in your heart. You got your heart in the wrong place. You need to give your heart to Jesus. You need to give Jesus all of those worries and fears that are yours. I mean, you do know Jesus, don't you, child? You do know Jesus, don't you? That's the question I want us to answer this Christmas. You do know Jesus, don't you? I want you to know him. I want you to know him this Christmas. I want you this Christmas to make a home in your heart for him. Because, because, my beloved people, when Jesus is born in the manger of a human heart, he never leaves. Amen and amen.